you could just please open God's Word to Psalm 119. Be Psalm 119, starting in verse 41. Today, we are going to be diving into one word. That word is hope. Now, the word for hope used in the Old Testament is the Hebrew word. Yes, you're going to get some Hebrew this morning. Yechal. Now, the the Hebrew language is a beautiful language with lots of guttural noises and spitting and throat noises. The word means to wait for. That's what yachal means. It means to wait for. We're going to look at what it means to wait for in our text today in Psalm 119. Before I read from God's holy and inerrant word, let's pray. Father, I ask that you would bless the reading and the teaching of your word. I ask that your truth would radiate from your word into our hearts. And I ask that your spirit would rest upon me, a sinner, as I seek to proclaim your truth. Hear my prayer this day. For you are the one we hope in. You are the one that we wait for. Send your son quickly, Father, that we would enjoy a true advent. We wait with patience. And we long for your kingdom. Build your kingdom in our hearts, we pray. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, amen. Psalm 119, before we read it, just a brief unpacking. It is the longest psalm in the book of Psalms. This may seem a little odd to you. In Advent, we typically would read from the genealogy of Jesus or maybe one of the birth narratives. But In doing a word study on hope, it's best to look at the people who were hoping. Well, the people who were hoping are found in the Old Testament, and the Old Testament was written in Hebrew, not Greek. So that's why we are looking at Yechal in Psalm 119, starting in verse 41. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for me for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. And take not the word of truth utterly out of my mouth, for my hope is in your rules. I will keep your law continually forever and ever, and I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I will also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be put to shame, for I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. I will lift up my hands toward your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. Remember your word to your servant, in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. Then skipping over to verse 73. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice, because I have hoped in your word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame. Because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes, that I may not be put to shame. My soul longs 
for your salvation. I hope in your word. This is the word of the Lord. <clears throat> so we talk about hope today. I have to tell you, I know what it means to hope. As a lifelong University of Michigan fan, I hope, oh, sorry about that, I hope every year. Last year, going into our final game of the season against Ohio State, I was hopeful. You see, we hadn't beaten them since 2011. Last year, my hope was fulfilled because we stampeded over them. It was wonderful. And then this year, we did it again. So great. Hope was fulfilled. Now, maybe that doesn't resonate with you like it does with me. That's okay. How about we try a different example? If you are familiar with the Lord of the Rings, the return of the king, we get one of the coolest scenes in cinema, at least in my opinion. It's a bit of a spoiler, but the movie's been out for 20 years and the books have been out for over 60 years, so you don't really have an excuse. But the enemy has surrounded the last stronghold of the free peoples of Middle-earth. The enemy's forces range in thousands. All hope seems lost. It seems that light will be snuffed out. It seems like there's no hope. Darkness will reign. But yet, as the sun begins to rise, banishing the clouds of darkness, 6,000 horsemen come over the hill, and they start blaring these ram's horns, which give you this beautiful sound that hope has come. Hope is here. All is not lost. Now maybe the Lord of the Rings doesn't get you excited like it does for me. That's okay. I'm going to try one more. We'll see. All right. The Chronicles of Narnia. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. One of my favorite Christmas movies to watch. You see, Aslan gave himself up, the great lion gave himself up to the white witch in order that Edmund, one of the sons of Adam, would be spared. Aslan, who had committed no trespass, gives himself. He sacrifices himself, and while Susan and Lucy watch from the forest, it seems that hope is killed. Hope is lost. But if we wait just a few minutes, we see that an earthquake happens. Susan and Lucy are forced to the ground as the stone table cracks and as the sun begins to rise. What do they see? Aslan, the great lion, comes over the crest of the hill. The one who was dead is now alive. Now apart from the Michigan example, I'm sure that you're starting to see a theme here. You're starting to see something of a hope. You see, great stories move us. They cause us to feel emotion. But the coolest part of all of this is that all the great stories of good triumphing over evil, of hope coming to the people who are lost, they all draw from the greatest story ever told. Every story of good defeating evil comes from one story. All good stories draw from the one story that is not made up. The one story that is our history as Christians, the story of Jesus Christ. Yechal means to hope. But more specifically, it means to wait with anticipation, 
to wait with excitement. The, the word picture that the Hebrew language uses is a rope being taut, waiting to be released. Our text today, the psalmist is waiting patiently for the day of vindication. The psalmist is waiting with expectation. Verses 41 and 42. Let your steadfast love come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your promise. Then shall I have an answer for him who taunts me, for I trust in your word. The psalmist trusts in the Lord. He trusts in the word of the Lord. Now it may seem that because our Bible focuses on Israel, that Israel was this great nation on the world stage. But in reality, Israel is very small. They're often in the crosshairs of every other nation. They are surrounded by enemies. As well, Israel has a some of the kings of Israel that there's actually persecution of the people who follow the Lord. King Ahab, his wife Jezebel, persecuted the prophets of the Lord. The psalmist, if he's in exile, and if this is written in exile, knows tribulation. And when the enemy comes to taunt him, he says he will trust in the word of the Lord. He will hope in the word of the Lord. He will yachal in the word of the Lord. Verse 49, remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. Now it's interesting, whenever we get this glimpse from a psalmist or a writer in the Bible and they use the word remember as they're speaking to God, we have to remember that God is God, right? He is holy, he's all-knowing, he's omniscient. Because of this, does God forget things? No. Does our Lord forget about us? No. And the psalmist doesn't think so either. But what the psalmist is doing is calling the reader back to the written words of the Old Testament, where the Lord tells them that he will neither leave them nor forsake them. And in times of trouble, the psalmist can hearken back to those words and know that the Lord is faithful. The writer can know that with hope, the Lord is going to show his steadfast love. Our text today shows that the writer trusts the Lord. Now, we're not exactly sure when this psalm was written. We can tell the writer is sad because of Israel's unfaithfulness. He mourns that his people do not return and repent. He mourns because the Israelites time and time again turn to false idols. They worship carved things, things they made with their hands. And if the psalm was written during the exile, we could easily see why the writer says this in verses 49 and 50. Remember your word to your servant in which you have made me hope. This is my comfort in my affliction, that your promise gives me life. Remember your word to your servant, O God, in which you have made me hope, in which you have made me yachal, in which you have made me hope with eagerness. The psalmist, even though he is writing in a lamenting way, is excited about what is going to happen in the future. The psalmists and many Old Testament writers, they remember the Lord's faithfulness 
and the people being brought out of Egypt. The people being out of slavery, right? That was the most salvific event for the Israelite people at this time. So when he says remember, he's remembering the words said to the people in the wilderness. Now if you read the entire Old Testament, which I guarantee you is well worth your time, you will see that the Lord instituted a sacrificial system for the people to be able to be forgiven for the sins they had committed. But no animal sacrifice can remove sin entirely. Now which do you think God would prefer? A bull sacrificed to cover the sin you had just committed? Or a broken and contrite heart that recognizes the trespass and actively tries not to do it again? Well, as we think about that, we can read Psalm 51, 16-17, and we can see that David is speaking to the Lord after his adultery with Bathsheba. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. The Old Testament points to the fact that sacrificing an animal doesn't fix the problem. And it also points to God's coming redemption. Verse 81, my soul longs for your salvation. I hope in your word. I call in your word. I wait with expectation for your salvation, O God. I wait with eagerness for your word to come. And the Israelites, they couldn't know exactly how this was going to happen. They couldn't know how God was going to save the people. But the writer looks forward with expectation, with excitement. Now, we, we look forward to things in our lives, right? We look forward to our birthdays every year, or at least we should, right? A year around the earth is another measure of God's faithfulness to us, right? So we should celebrate our birthdays no, no matter how old we are, right? We look forward to that. We humans, though, we look forward to things that we know will come, right? We hope in things that will come that we can see. I hope for good prosperity to come to our church here in this country, right? I hope that prosperity will come to our churches and that the gospel will flourish, right? God's word tells us that will happen, so I know I can trust that promise. I don't hope for many things that I'm not going to see after I die and leave this world. I don't hope for things after that. You probably don't either. But what the psalmist is doing is hoping in something he knows he probably won't see, but he hopes nonetheless. We should model his example because we do hope for something we cannot see. We do hope in something that will hopefully come tomorrow, hopefully come in the next week or the next month or maybe some point in our lifetime. We hope in God's return. We hope in Jesus Christ returning to us. Now you can look back and see over the course of many thousands of years that Jesus has not returned yet. We don't know when he's going to come back. We don't know the day, the time, the hour. We hope it's tomorrow. 
We hope it's this week, this month, this year. I hope it's before my next set of finals come. Most seminarians are often praying for that. But we hope nonetheless. The psalmist, the people of the Old Testament, the people that came before us, they all hope with eager expectation. And wait, they did. Now we can look to Isaiah 9, we can look to Micah 5, and other verses of reference to the coming of Jesus Christ. But I want to look at Malachi 3. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament before the birth of Christ. In Malachi, we see many things. We see an admonishment of Judah. We see something for the people to hope for. But where I want to focus in Malachi is chapter 3 and just the first three verses in chapter 3. And I want you to listen as I read. And I want you to pick out three people who are coming. Right? Three people who are coming from the text. Here we go. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings and righteousness to the Lord. All right, three events, three people coming. The first, a messenger will be sent to prepare the way. The second, the Lord whom you seek will suddenly appear. And third, someone will come in the day of the Lord and no one will be able to stand before him. Three comings of people. This is really important here because the words of Malachi are the final words to God's people for 400 years. God is then going to be silent for 400 years. Now first, the messenger will prepare the way. We know who this messenger is. It's John the Baptist. John prepares the way for Jesus Christ. That's verse 1a, now verse 1b. That is the coming of Christ to the earth. John prepares the way and Christ comes to his people. Okay, we can see that. Christ, the one who Israel had hoped in, the one whom Israel had waited for, will suddenly come to the temple. But then we have verses 2 and 3. We have John the Baptist, and then we have the, the Christ coming. Who is this third person? Who is this person that no one will be able to stand before? This person that will purify the people as they approach the Lord God of hosts. All right, it's kind of a trick question. This one's also Jesus. If you were thinking Jesus, you were right. This is the prophecy of the second coming of Christ. Now, the Israelites wouldn't have fully understand what these three things mean, but they knew what was going to happen would be a magnificent display of God's power and justice. And the people waited, and the people hoped, and generation after generation passed away, waiting for deliverance. 400 years, 
If that was the end of the story, it'd be a pretty sad, depressing end. Thankfully, that's not the end of the story. Psalm 119.76, Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. The promise of hope, the promise of Yechal. 119 verse 114, You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in your word. And verse 82, My eyes long for your promise. I ask, when will you comfort me? Thankfully, we know this is not the end of the story. Now, you may not know this, but for the, the ability for all the prophecies given in the Old Testament about the Messiah to be fulfilled in one single person, it's a mathematical nightmare. You cannot even accurately number the odds because there's so many zeros. You have a better chance of being struck by lightning every minute of every week, of every month, for an entire year. Then all of the prophecies about the Messiah being fulfilled in one man, Jesus Christ. But yet, the author of creation, and the one through whom, through whom the earth was created, is born as a baby to Joseph and Mary. The hope of all the earth was born as a baby, the Son of God incarnate to a world that would mostly reject Him. I want you to close your eyes and imagine with me that you're standing in a dark room. There's no light. There's no windows. It's pitch black. Think about how dark the room is. Now, we know that darkness is not really a thing. You can open your eyes now. Darkness is not really a thing. Darkness is the absence of light. If we always had light shining, you would not know darkness, right? So imagine you're in this room again, this dark room, no lights, no windows, and you light a small birthday candle, right? A little, little birthday candle, puny, small candle. When you light that candle, it looks like the darkness in the room is going to overcome that small, worthless, little light. There's no way that light can survive with all the darkness around. But that's not what happens. That's not the case. This small candle that you have lit is actually scattering the darkness. You see, the darkness seeks to hide from the light. The darkness cannot remain when the light is shining. This small, tiny candle banishes the darkness. Jesus Christ was born for a specific purpose. And John, Jesus tells us this purpose himself in Mark 1.15. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Jesus is the light. Just as lighting a candle in a dark room scatters the darkness, so too the light of the world comes to the earth, shines into the darkness of this world, causing it to flee. And those who love the darkness fled too. Though some, some who had the light shone on them, fell to their knees and begged forgiveness. 
right? John 3, 16 through 21 tells us this. This time of year, we celebrate the birth of Christ. It's an exciting time. We often think of Jesus being born and placed in a manger, right? Swaddled in clothes. And it's a beautiful time. It's beautiful imagery. But the most important reason we celebrate this day is not because a baby was born, but because Jesus was born to die. Christ was born to die. Because it is through this baby, it is through Jesus Christ that we will be saved. Christ came to this earth for one purpose. To rescue us. To take the punishment for our sins. To pay the price so we wouldn't have to. He did what we couldn't do. Now in a few short months, we'll be celebrating Easter, right? We'll be celebrating the death and resurrection of our Lord and Savior. And then, shortly after Easter, we'll be in Advent again, and we'll celebrate the birth of our Lord. And then fast forward a little more, and we'll be in Easter again, and then Advent, and then Easter, and then Advent Everything is going to just kind of come together as we get older, right? We're going to keep doing this over and over. Brothers and sisters, this is our life. This shouldn't sound monotonous. Granted, I made it sound a little monotonous, but that was to make a point. Here it is. What we may think as monotony should actually be excitement. It's easy to get bogged down in life. That each day comes and goes and we're just going through the motions. Rather, our lives should be a constant celebration of what God has done in us. What God has done through His Son, Jesus Christ. Which should excite us. Our life is one constant celebration of Jesus' birth, death, and resurrection. He rescued us. He purchased us by His blood. And because of that, we are adopted into God's family. We are grafted in. We are His. We belong to Him. Like I said, our life is one constant celebration of the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if that was the end of the story, it'd be a pretty good story. But it's not. That's not the end of the story. Malachi 3.3 But who can endure the day of His coming? And who can stand when He appears? For He is like refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. Revelation 22.12-14 Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what He has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life that they may enter the city by its gates. The Israelites hoped in a Messiah to come. But we don't hope in a Messiah to come. We hope in Jesus Christ who will come again. We know who our Savior is. This time, This time, the coming of Christ will be different. This time, Christ will come to separate 
those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life and those whose names are not. Every year, every month, every Christmas, every Easter, every day our lives in celebration because we will be with him. We will be with our God. This is great news. This is our hope. This is our yachal. Although we can say hope because we don't speak Hebrew. We speak English. An end to all things is coming. The Lord will bring the new kingdom down to us and we will join with God and all the saints and celebrate for all eternity. We celebrate the day that Christ was born to die. Because he is the one who saved our lives. He is the one we hope in. We call in his return. This Christmas, and all the Christmases in our lives, we hope in the second coming of Christ. But we must not forget that this hope, this hope that we have is something we must hold on to. We must grip it tightly. Because we have a problem ahead of us. We're heading into winter. After Christmas, then we get real winter, right? This is, this is just like the, the foretaste of winter. We get another winter, right? That winter is cold, depressing, and cold. But here's the reality. For most of the people in this world, they are in perpetual winter. Spring, summer, fall, they are in winter, Many in this world are wandering around looking for warmth. Many in this world have frozen hearts. And they're looking for warmth to thaw those frozen hearts. You see, we hope in Christ's second coming. We hold that tightly. And we must hold it tightly because God has given us a mission while we're on this earth. Our mission is to reach the lost. Our mission is to bring the good news to the people that these frozen hearts would be thawed. This is the reason that Jesus has not returned yet. The Lord tarries in sending His Son again so that we would reach the lost by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in the midst of a sinful world that is full of ice and snow, We have the power through the Holy Spirit to bring the good news and the warmth that people are so desperately seeking. It's kind of an aside, but the Bible tells us to be salt and light. Light scatters darkness. Salt kills ice. Here's the hard part. The hardest part of all this is that those who are out there in winter don't always see the church as a place of warmth. We cannot be content to wait for them to come in here looking for warmth. We need to go out there bringing the warmth with us. That is our mission. Christ was birthed to save us from our sins. We were birthed to be Christ's hands and feet, spreading the gospel to an unbelieving world. So maybe, maybe you're here today, sitting here in front of me, or maybe you're listening online. I know that people listen online. One reason or another you are here, or you are listening, 
Maybe you already trust in the Lord and you already believe in him and you know that Christ is God. To God be the glory. You know and believe that you have been purchased by the blood of Christ. To God be the glory. You've acknowledged your sin and you know apart from God's intervention that you can do no good. To God be the glory. Let us hope in the return of the Lord together and let us seek out whose hearts still need thawing. But maybe... Just maybe you're here this morning, or you're listening, and you don't quite enough believe in Jesus Christ and what he's done. Maybe you don't fully acknowledge that you're sinful. Maybe you know you're sinful, but you're still angry at God for some reason. Maybe you can't have a relationship with God in your mind for one reason or another. Maybe you don't acknowledge God at all. But yet you're here. If that is you, Know that Jesus Christ is real. Jesus Christ is God. And I encourage you to find an elder. Now, I didn't forewarn the elders that I was going to say this, but go and talk to them. Their mission, not only to thaw hearts in this world, but their mission is also to guide you, to shepherd you. If you are here today, they are here for you. We believe in Christ, and we believe that we cannot be saved through good deeds. Ask your elders how they have this hope. Ask how they can have joy in the midst of a cold and broken world. This is the sole purpose of our church. You see, the church is an embassy to the world. You know what an embassy is, right? An embassy is a building in a foreign country that is soil that belongs to another country. Brothers and sisters, this church is an embassy to this world. This church is a building, right? I'm not talking about the building. This is, this is a, a glorified rain shelter. It's a beautiful rain shelter, don't get me wrong. But this is a rain shelter and a snow shelter so that we can have a warm place to gather and worship our God together. The church is you. The church is me. We are the church. We are an embassy to this world. This world is not our home. These bodies that we inhabit that are given to us by God, our sovereign soil, belongs to another country, belongs to Jesus Christ. We are blessed to live in a land that has many churches. You can throw a dart at the map, and that dart will land where there's at least three or four churches. Right? We have so many townships around us. We have Munster, we have Dyer, we have Griffith, we have Gary, we have... Highland, we we have so many townships that have so many churches. We can all work together to reach the lost. That is why we are here. That is our mission. That is our purpose. That as we hope in what has come already and will come again, we can do the work that is before us. Again, that's, that's why we're here. We don't just come to the Word of God each morning on Sunday to get a go get them champ. No, we don't do that. We come to hear the preaching of the Word of God in order to be strengthened as we re-enter the mission field. The Word of God fulfills us, strengthens us, and prepares us to go back outside those doors to a cold and depressing world. As you go into this week, as we look forward to Christmas, Remember that we live 
by the word of God, and we hope in his word. And we all hope in a coming kingdom. See, Revelation, it's one of my favorite books of the Bible. Not because there's battles, I like battles, but because of the end that is to come. You see, the kingdom will descend, a kingdom that will have no end. If you read Revelation, you'll see that we no longer will need a son in the new kingdom because the Lord will be our light. And what does light do? Scatters darkness. There will be no more darkness. The gates of the city will never be closed because there is no more evil. There is no more sin. And whether we wait and see Jesus Christ coming or we are called home, our Father in heaven will call us further up and further in to see his glory. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that we can hope in your word. We praise you that you have shown your faithfulness over the generations of your people. We can read from the beginning to now and see that you were faithful to your people then and you will be faithful now and you will be faithful till the end. Father, strengthen us. Give us grace and mercy each day as we, for, we repent for our sins. I pray that you would forgive us. Lord, use us to reach the lost of this world. Keep us from sin that we would not hurt our witness in front of the unbelievers. Remind us of our assurance that as we go out into an unbelieving world, we would strike fear in the heart of the enemy. We thank you for Advent. We thank you for a time set aside to remember the birth of your Son. That we can then hope in his return again. Lord, we love you. We thank you that you first loved us and that you call us your own. We pray this in the precious name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.